0: Chapter three of Geographical Reader Europe by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Chapter three Central and Northern Ireland. We take the cars at Killarney and go north to Limerick and Galway, important little cities with fine harbors on the west coast, and then cross Ireland to Dublin, passing over the great central plain. Much of our journey is through vast swamps filled with peat. These are the boglands of Ireland. They cover a space about as large as Connecticut, or almost one-seventh of the whole country. Peat is a spongy vegetable matter, which might be called half-grown coal. In some places, the peat is almost as hard as coal, and in others, soft with many little fibers matted together. In some of the swamps, the peat beds are thin and in others they are thirty or forty feet thick peat is the chief fuel of the irish we see women carrying great baskets of it home on their backs and as we cross a bog we see men getting the peat out they are cutting the soft wet stuff up into bricks and laying them out to dry in the sun later they will carry them off to the cabins for their winter fuel or send them to the towns and cities for sale peat makes a very hot fire although it does not blaze up like wood it smoulders away brightening into a glow under a draught and giving out a pale blue smoke in some places logs and branches of fir and oak are found in the peat these are very inflammable and they burn so brightly that they have the place that pine-knots had in our pioneer times and the peasants sometimes use them for candles many of the bogs are now being drained for there is rich soil under them, and when the peat has been once cut away, they make excellent farms. Central Ireland is a land of fine farms. The country is cultivated like a garden, and there are many great estates with thousands of tenant farmers. Some of the farms are quite large, and their tenants apparently live very well. The houses grow better as we come nearer Dublin, and as we continue our travels, we find that Ireland has a large population of rich, and well-to-do people as well as of poor dublin is a magnificent city it is about as big as minneapolis and it is one of the most beautiful cities of europe it is the capital of ireland being the home of the lord lieutenant who is appointed by the ruler of the united kingdom to represent the british government there it is the chief social centre of the country it has magnificent homes libraries and schools a famous monument fine statues and other evidences of culture and wealth dublin is also noted for its manufactures and commerce it lies on the irish channel not far from the mouth of the liffey whence all parts of the country can easily be reached by water or rail and just where it is easiest to bring in goods from england or to send them across to that country it makes great quantities of beer whiskey and porter for export and is also famous for weaving a kind of dress goods which is sold in our american stores this goods is irish poplin it is of silk and wool and although not so fine as the finest of silk it is almost as beautiful and will wear twice as long we spend some time in strolling about through the city visiting the great stores in grafton street where we each buy some poplin and handkerchiefs of irish lace as presents to take home to our friends the lace is wonderfully fine it is made by hand stitch by stitch on cushions by the women and girls in their cabins it takes a long time to make a lace curtain and a girl may be employed for a month on a single fine handkerchief leaving the stores we visit the bank of ireland which was built more than a hundred years ago and then go to the castle where the lord lieutenant lives we next photograph the statues of tom moore the poet and the duke of wellington both natives of dublin and then take a walk through the grounds of trinity college meeting scores of students in black caps and gowns and remembering that oliver goldsmith the poet and dean swift who wrote gulliver's travels were once students here later we rest ourselves in the great cathedrals of christ church and st patrick and then go out to phoenix park which the irish say is the finest pleasure ground of the world It has large fields for cricket and golf and miles of beautiful drives through the trees in the woods there are many red deer so tame that they eat from our hands and allow us to pet them during our stay we call at the town hall and there meet the lord mayor he tells us that dublin is a progressive city and that it owns the docks and wharves the markets the waterworks and the electric lighting plant it maintains a museum and library as well as zoological gardens an art gallery and a model school we might cross the irish channel from dublin to england but we wish to see something of north ireland before visiting great britain so we take the train for the giant's causeway and belfast where we can get a ship which will land us in scotland we travel all day long through a beautiful country passing many towns and numerous villages at last we reach portrush a town situated on the extreme north coast on a bold headland it is dark when we arrive and we stay at the hotel overnight the next morning we take an electric car and ride along the coast to the famed giants causeway what a curious formation it is as we step from the cars we see acres of huge stone columns rising out of the sea as though they were piles driven down by giants They are so close together that we walk upon them. Our guide tells us there are 40,000 in all, but we do not stop to count. The columns are of different shapes and of different heights. Some are triangular, some pentagonal, and others octagonal. Some rise in tiers like so many steps, and others are so arranged that they look like the pipes of an organ, while one formation is like a giant pulpit. We walk about on the stones, sitting down now and then to sketch the wonderful scenes, or make photographs of them and our party. We lean over the columns which surround a great hole called the giant's well, and look down into the water, and as we do so an old Irish woman offers us a cup, telling us that if we will drink some water from the well, making a wish as we swallow, our wish will come true before the year closes. We laugh, and give the old woman a penny but decline to tempt the fates in that way after a time we hire a boat and are rowed out for a view of the causeway from the sea the columns extend far out gradually losing themselves in the water as we are rowed about our boatman gives us the irish tradition as to the origin of the causeway he says that it was built because of a quarrel between Finn mccool the champion giant of ireland and one of the champion giants of scotland the scotch giant dared all the world to come and fight him he had heard of finn and he sent him a message saying that if it weren't for getting wet he would cross over to ireland and give him a drubbing upon this finn applied to his king who gave him permission to build this great causeway from ireland to scotland in order that the scotch giant might come over dry shod to fight him the boastful scotchman did come and Finn gave him a whipping and sent him back home. After this there was no further need of the causeway, and according to the story it was again thrown down into the sea. We find Belfast full of interest. It is a beautiful city, about as large as Washington, lying on an excellent harbour which gives it connection with Scotland, England, and all other parts of the world. It is the chief of the Irish manufacturing cities being so near the coal fields of Scotland that it can get its fuel for making steam very cheaply. We visit the shipyards, where some of the finest of ocean steamers are built, and go through the vast mills for weaving cottons and linens. The linen mills are exceptionally fine, for the firm moist land of this region is well fitted for flax, and the Irish farmers understand how to prepare it for cloth. The most beautiful of tablecloths and napkins are made in these mills in others linen lawns for dresses and handkerchiefs are made and thousands of the shirt bosoms worn in america come from belfast there are many flax farms in the country near by which supply a part of the linen used in the great factories in the city we devote one of our mornings to visiting the largest linen mill of the world its buildings cover eight acres and more than twenty five thousand people are employed by its managers to turn the flax into cloth. We go through room after room, filled with men, women, and children, hard at work making all kinds of fine linens. The women and children are barefooted, but they look healthy and happy. They receive very low wages, although they work from half past six in the morning until six in the evening, with recesses for breakfast and dinner. Near the mill we see bleaching farms, great fields upon which the cloth is spread out on the grass in the sun and sprinkled until it grows white we learn that ireland has been noted for its linen for more than six hundred years and that until eighteen hundred five its linens were all made by hand now machinery does almost everything although the very finest of the damask table linens are still made on hand looms end of chapter three